We've had to rethink everything about how we do business. Automation will put 45 million people out of work. By We're already paying the price of ignoring climate change. Companies perform better with diverse boards. Change is coming. From Fortune Media, this is reInvent, a podcast about fighting to thrive in a world turned upside down. I'm Beth Coet, Fortune Senior Editor. And I'm Jeff Colvin, also a Fortune Senior Editor. If you've shopped for kids' toys or clothing lately, you may have noticed a growing number of gender-inclusive offerings. In this episode, we explore why apparel giant Abercrombie & Fitch and Mattel's iconic toy brand Barbie have made this a priority. What's their motivation? Are these items selling? And does a new California law have anything to do with it? On this episode of reInvent, we'll answer those questions and raise a few more along the way. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. California bill is on the table that would ban stores from displaying children's clothes and toys in separate boys and girls sections in big department stores. Mattel launched new gender neutral dolls. The doll line is called Creatable World. They have different skin tones, hair and clothes that allow kids to make it a boy, a girl, neither or both. Gender free clothing has been gaining momentum in the mainstream as more young people identify with non-traditional gender labels. Anybody can like a color. Doesn't mean they're a boy or girl. Beth, I know you've been reporting on how different toy and apparel manufacturers are evolving in response to social movements. What led you to today's reInvent story? So in October, California passed a law that, among other things, would require large retailers to have a gender-neutral toy section. So essentially... You would no longer just find trucks in the boys section and dolls in the girls section, but they'd sit side by side on the shelf. And this story really caught my eye. And I have to say that my interest in this also is personal. Um, I have an almost two-year-old daughter. We've tried to be really conscious of gender stereotypes and to be agnostic when it comes to the type of toy she plays with. You know, she loves her trucks and cars just as much as she loves her baby doll. But it's amazing to me how often when I put her in a blue coat or a blue hat that people think she's a boy. You really do feel like you're fighting against these societal norms that are just so hard to shake. It's going to be interesting for me to hear more about this. I mean, all I can remember is the world that you were describing, you know, when there were separate aisles and no one thought anything about it. And for that matter, my kids are grown up. And so what they went through was fundamentally the same. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I really remember the pink toy aisle um, that was really designed for me, right? And in the separate boy aisle. And I was a kid that loved Legos, right? And so I had to go to the boy aisle to get them. In retrospect, I wonder what impact that had if I was a little scared off from it. But I think that this is an interesting move and retailers are finally starting to get on board. Well, that's what I'm so interested in learning about in this episode, because retailers and manufacturers of consumer goods 
are in the business of sensing what the society is doing and where it's moving. And so I'm interested to learn what they're doing and how well it's working. So for the past hundred years, it's been pink for girls who are meant to be housewives and nurturers, blue for boys who are expected to be, you know, soldiers and providers. Be a Betty Crocker baker, make a Betty Crocker cake in your Betty Crocker easy bake oven. <laughs> well, I, it, these make me laugh, I have to say. Uh, it, it's striking to me how long some of these products have been around. We've already mentioned that binary gendered advertising and manufacturing is falling out of favor in some circles and that many companies are making an effort to create more gender inclusive products. Beth, what is driving this? I think it's because society is changing, Jeff. I mean, demographically and socially. According to 2020 U.S. Census data, Gen Z now makes up 21% of the population. Millennials make up another 22%, and they're the most diverse generations in U.S. history, especially in terms of gender identification. According to a recent survey from the Pew Research Center, almost half of adults ages 18 to 29 know at least one person who uses gender-neutral pronouns, and 53% know someone who identifies as transgender. All right, so let me bring this back to a fortune question. What does this shift away from the gender binary mean for retailers who are trying to reach those consumers? It means that in order to survive, they also need to make that shift. I spoke to Rob Garrett-Smith. He's the founder of The Fluid Project, which is a gender-inclusive retailer and community. So Rob started The Fluid Project after spending 30 years as a retail executive at brands like Nike, Macy's, and Levi's. The more and more I speak to big retailers, the more I speak to big businesses, they realize that being inclusive is being part of the future and is the way that their business will be sustainable in the long run. So there are some pretty significant statistics to support Rob's point that being more gender inclusive will help retailers stay competitive. 56% of Gen Zers already shop outside their gender. And today, Gen Z and their parents account for something like 40% of the country's spending power. And as I mentioned earlier, California Bill 1084 is now requiring retailers to reorganize their stores to actually reflect how these generations shop. Rob Smith worked with California Assemblymember Evan Lowe to lobby for passage of the bill. He was inspired to do so after getting an email from one of Lowe's staffers, Danielle Sires. I received an email from Danielle, and she has a daughter, Britton, who at the time was eight years old. And Britton is studying dinosaurs in school and living in California. And Britton really wanted a dinosaur t-shirt pretty badly. So Britton's mom brought her to the department store. And they were looking for dinosaur t-shirts in the girls' department. And she said, Mom, among all of this pink sparkle, <laughs> there is not a dinosaur t-shirt in here. And so she goes, I bet, Mom, there's a dinosaur t-shirt in the boys' department. So she, they walked over and they found several dinosaur t-shirts in the boys' department. So 
She said, mom, why is there even a boys and girls department and kids? Why can't it just be a kid's department and we can shop wherever we want? Uh, what strikes me about this story is that it seems to have led to a bill requiring that retailers do stuff that some of them are already figuring makes a lot of sense for them to do. In addition, I gather that the fines for retailers who defy the bill are really small. And if Rob thinks, as he said previously, that businesses are going to go in this direction anyway, is Bill 1084 really that significant? Jeff, I had the same question for Rob. Here's his take. This bill, although it might seem pretty small and it's significant in some ways, it really is significant because it begins to address the broader issue that whether you're in uh, a retail space online or you're in a retail space physically, the binary exists everywhere. Whether you want to go to the restroom, put on a piece of clothing, it exists everywhere. Retailers are really working hard to find space in the middle. I wanted to approach the story from two perspectives. One, I wanted to know how retailers were reorganizing their physical spaces. And two, I wanted to know how an iconic toy brand historically considered just for girls was evolving their products to appeal to kids across the gender spectrum. One toy quickly came to mind. Barbie, you're beautiful. You make me my Barbie doll is really real. <laughs> that ad was for the first Barbie in 1959. And Barbie's still around. So, Beth, I have to believe that Mattel has evolved Barbie since then. Is that right? So when Barbie first came out, she was actually pretty revolutionary and progressive. Previous dolls girls had been all about nurturing, so feeding the doll, taking care of it. But with Barbie, it was about girls sort of projecting their own dreams and futures onto this doll, right? So Barbie wasn't a baby. She's an adult woman. But kind of by the mid-2010s, it was clear that Barbie had not changed enough to keep up with the times. A lot of parents really viewed her as perpetuating negative stereotypes about body image, and Mattel's business there really suffered as a result. Barbie needed to evolve. And in 2016, Barbie released the most ethnically diverse doll line in the brand's history. That line also included the introduction of three new doll body types, curvy, tall, and petite. And in 2019, Barbie released its Creatable Worlds doll, which does not identify with any gender. The doll's facial features and body types are androgynous, and kids can dress their dolls with customizable doll kits, which include wigs and clothes any way they want. I spoke to Kim Calmone, global head of design for Barbie and fashion dolls at Mattel, about how these inclusive dolls evolved. We were hearing from parents and kids that, you know, maybe we weren't 100% meeting the mark as far as being as reflective of the world around them as we could be. And so we put a challenge out to the design team. And I, I said to my team, if you could do anything that you wanted to do with Barbie right now, what would you do? Can we break our own rules, right? Can we break this system of play that's been, you know, for all intents and purposes, consistent, you know, for, for 50, 60 years? So I think the, the idea of systems of play is a really important one because I don't think people realize what that means then when you go through 
a change like this, that it doesn't just mean introducing new doll forms. It means really looking at the entire array of products that you sell. Yeah. So for all those years that Barbie was existing, clothes could be passed down and they would still fit the doll decades later. Houses, cars, chairs, all those things were designed specifically to one, for the most part, one body. All that had to change. And when you talk about beyond body type, when you talk about a wheelchair, you know, a doll that utilizes a wheelchair, can she fit in the elevator? Can she navigate the house? You know, how, how does the whole world around her need to adjust in order to accommodate difference? Kim also noted that the language used to describe Barbie's different gender expressions is also meant to signify that the dolls are for everyone. She avoids using the term gender neutral to describe them. I am much more focused on being inclusive rather than neutral. If I think about a spectrum with, you know, feminine being on one side, masculine being on the other, there's a bunch in between. Right? And how we present ourselves in the world is on that spectrum. And I think it's a much richer landscape to view toys similarly. And you know, if we say that it is neutral, then that means that we're missing all the great things about femininity or missing all the great things about masculinity. I hadn't thought about how creating new Barbie dolls also requires creating all new Barbie accessories, uh, clothing, accommodations. That's a big investment. Has it paid off for Mattel, Beth? It seems like it has. 2020 was actually Mattel's best sales year in over 20 years, with Barbie really driving the success. Over 50% of our line now could be considered diverse, meaning that it is not the original body, blonde, blue-eyed doll. And we wouldn't be doing that if it were not a good business move as well. And Mattel does have evidence that Barbie is attracting a wider audience beyond kids who identify as girls. Our information shows that about 23% of doll purchases or playing with them would be not girls, right? So boys or, or other gender, 23%. It's interesting to consider whether these increases in sales numbers for Barbie are because of the new dolls or because it's just more socially acceptable for kids of all gender expressions to play with dolls. It is interesting, Jeff. And to be honest, I'm not sure if there's a concrete answer. Social norms have definitely changed. Rob from The Fluid Project told me about his own desire to own a Barbie doll when he was a kid. For me, it was my sister would have to escort me into the Barbie section for me to look at Barbies because I couldn't do it on my on my own. I needed a, a, an escort um, to, so people wouldn't look at me funny. You know, what was this boy doing in the Barbie section? Rob's story made me think that California Bill 1084 is meaningful for its ability to create a safe space for all kids to shop for the toys they really do want. I asked him her thoughts about the law. Even at Mattel, when I first started, you know, we talked about our business in terms of the girls' business and the boys' business. I mean, we used those labels, which seems so archaic to me now. It's been a while for us since we actually moved to a category orientation and articulation, meaning that I am head of design for fashion dolls. I'm not head of design of girls' dolls. So to create toy aisles by category seems very natural and it's a good signifier to indicate that toys are not about gender. They're about whoever is interested in playing with them. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Would be fair for all the girls to buy princesses and all the boys to buy superheroes. But why did you think they do that? Right, but but you can buy either, right? And boys can buy either. If boys want to buy pink, they can buy pink, right? Yeah. So then, why do all the girls have to buy princesses? Some girls like superheroes. Some girls like princesses. Some boy like superheroes. Some boy like princesses. That clip is from a 2011 video of four-year-old Riley Maida telling her dad exactly what she thinks about the toys being marketed to her. In the video, she is standing in a toy aisle in front of a variety of baby dolls wrapped in bright pink packaging. And you can tell from her flailing hands and concerned expression that she is both confused and outraged. I really love this video, Jeff, because it proves that kids are aware that they're being marketed to. And that marking doesn't always match their desires. Yeah, Riley's video really does illustrate that kids have concerns about the toys they're encouraged to play with. Beth, I'm wondering what this concern means for companies. Is Mattel's success with their more inclusive dolls reflected in data across the toy industry? You know, it's a great question, Jeff, and I wanted to know the same thing. I spoke with Julie Lennett, vice president and industry advisor for NPD Group's toy division. Julie has been an analyst in the toy industry for 17 years. When you're looking at toys like building sets, action figures, vehicles, you're going to find that probably about between 80 and 90% of those toys are purchased for boys. And when you look at dolls, plush, arts and crafts, you'll find that 80 to 90% of those toys are purchased for girls. The only exception to the rule is really around things like games and puzzles. Um, We see that those tend to run very gender neutral. And I really haven't seen that change much in 17 years. And the same holds true for brands. I've seen the dial move slightly when it comes to toys that are typically thought of as toys for males, for boys. We are now seeing that that number, you know, when it used to be probably closer to 95% male, 5% female is now more like 85% male and 15% female. Interesting. Why is that the case? Do you have a sense? It's like the chicken and the egg. Where do you start? If I'm a father and I have a son and a daughter, and I don't want my son playing with dolls. I don't want my son playing with fashion dolls, for example. I'm not going to buy him fashion dolls. I don't care what aisle of the store it's in. I'm not going to buy them. Now, we always do play with fashion dolls. They're called action figures. (laughs) We just call them something different. (laughs) That's interesting. So it's basically a branding thing, right? Like, 
the boys will play with dolls if we call them action figures. Absolutely. And if they're laced, you know, with a weapon. (laughs) I'm interested in what Julie might think about these somewhat stagnant sales numbers and what they might mean for toy makers. Well, honestly, it's that a more gender inclusive toys are not a sure bet. You know, when I look at specific categories or specific brands, typically once they're over the age of three, they tend to land in either the boy camp or the girl camp. It's very unusual to see something that's around being gender neutral unless it's a game, for example. So if you're asking the manufacturers to create toys that can appeal to both, you may find yourself in the boat where it appeals to none. And I think that's a huge risk. And Julie noted that one of the biggest challenges to brand success will be to change the perceptions of the people whose money is paying for these toys. At the end of the day, you've got to convince the parents who are doing most of the toy purchases and grandparents, you you kind of have to convince them otherwise. And I think it's a very difficult subject to overcome. Well, Beth, so far what we've seen is a very clear trend in the toy business, but not necessarily a really big phenomenon. You're exactly right, Jeff. You know, and and this is one of the reasons that I really wanted to dig into apparel a little bit too. It's one of the early segments in retail to embrace gender neutral products and presentation. And we thought by looking at what's happened in clothing, we might be able to have a sense of what could happen in the toy aisle. I found a number of big apparel retailers who have been selling gender-inclusive kids' clothing for years, including Nordstrom, Saks, and Kohl's. So you can tell them, I don't have little kids anymore because I didn't know that. Was there an apparel retailer that stood out as particularly successful in reinventing their clothing lines outside the gender binary? Yes, and it was Abercrombie and Fitch. And this was much to my surprise because this was not the Abercrombie that I knew growing up where the company admittedly hired store employees based on their looks and all of the models were very scantily clad. Abercrombie and Fitch now has multiple gender inclusive lines under its brand umbrella. And I was particularly interested in the Gilly Hicks line, which lives under its Hollister brand. Gilly Hicks is an underwear, loungewear, and activewear line that does not use gender-specific fabrics or patterns. It launched in 2008 but shuttered in 2013 due to declining revenue. But Abercrombie actually relaunched the line, which is a big deal, in, in 2017 in response to growing customer demand for intimates. Kim Dolder is the SVP and general manager of Gilly Hicks. One key thing to reinventing the brand is being gender inclusive. Why we decided to go there is because male customers started to comment on the brand. And they started to say, I know that you made this for a female, but gosh, I wish you had it in my size and made it for me too. And that got us talking with customers and thinking about how we could be more gender inclusive so that we could serve more of Gen Z and not just a female-focused Gen Z. Kim explained what exactly makes their products gender inclusive. So underwear you have to make it for certain anatomies. And we didn't want to make underwear for different anatomies and then decide what should be feminine or masculine. So when we decided to make underwear for more than just one anatomy, we decided we weren't gonna change the color of the print based on what anatomy we were making it for. 
Well, I know most of us are used to walking into a clothing store and finding a men's section and a women's section. So if Gilly Hicks doesn't define its products that way, how are their stores organized? Good question, Jeff. Uh, Gilly Hicks opened its first standalone store in Columbus, Ohio in July of 2021. Kim and the Gilly Hicks team knew that their customers found the idea of organizing stores by gender outdated. When we launched it in July, we decided to organize it by end use. So we wanted to remove gender labels completely. So we originally had it organized by end use of underwear, activewear, and loungewear and combined the genders within. What's interesting is the customer told us it was a little bit harder to navigate it that way because they couldn't understand what was built for a male form and what was built for a female form. This is a way that they've learned to shop. So based on their feedback, We've separated the end uses a bit more so you can see specifically what's made for a male form, specifically what's made for a female form. Kim explained how customers can find the products that best fit them. A show don't tell is what they asked us to do. So we do not put genders, um, dictate them on the products. We use imagery to show them on male forms or female forms so they understand who they were fit on and for. Well, okay, Beth, so you can guess what I'm going to ask now. But have Gilly Hicks's new products and the new store paid off in their sales numbers? Well, Kim had an answer for that one, too. As we reported in our Q2 earnings in late August, um, we saw 30% sales growth year over year. And that marked several consecutive quarters of double-digit sales growth for the brand. So, Jeff, I am really curious what your thoughts are on all this. Well, the big question that comes to my mind is, will this trend be a broad industry-changing trend in toys or apparel or both? Or will it be a niche trend that can last and that can be profitable, but that is not going to fundamentally change the way these products are created and marketed? And I, I truly don't know the answer. That's what I'm going to be very interested to see. And what about you? You have a very little one right now. How do you think about it when you go shopping for either apparel or toys? So that actually is something I, I've been thinking about because going shopping for me right now means shopping online, right? And I do wonder, you know, we're talking about all these big changes in the toy aisle, but what about the digital world, right? I think that that, that is maybe the place that these companies really need to focus and think about because that's just the way we're all moving. And that's a really good point because it actually brings us back to where we started, which was this bill, this law 1084 in California, mandating that stores not have boys' aisles and girls' aisles. But as more and more retail happens online, there aren't any aisles at all. But then the other thing is maybe it won't make any difference because retailers and manufacturers are going to do it anyway if they see that there's money in it. I think that's right. I think this is the direction we're clearly moving in, right? It's top of mind for me when I shop for my daughter. I'm sure that's the case for parents that are younger than I am too. I think if businesses want to be successful, they need to move where their customers are going. And this really seems to be the clear path. And if this makes it easier for all kids to find the toys they want, then what's not to like if you're in the toy business? This episode was produced by Alexis Haught and edited by Nicole Vergala. 
Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Reinvent is a production of Fortune Media.